Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Biller. Thank you so much for joining in today. We have got a great program. It is my privilege to have with us today Tamara Holder, a bold feminist, attorney, media analyst, and champion of equality. Tamara is a person who has always spoken her mind, who has crusaded for what she believes in, and she is a person who blew the whistle, one of many people who did, at Fox News. Stay tuned for this wonderful interview. But first, some news and notes in psychology and medicine. Some of you will remember that a couple of weeks ago, we talked to one of the Butner family who was involved with the foundation of the Blue Zones. You remember the Blue Zones? The Blue Zones are the five places on the planet where people live longer than all of the rest of us. Yes, and they live 10 years longer than the rest of us. Furthermore, they live those 10 years with much less disease, less cancer, less cardiovascular disease, less diabetes. And so what the Butners did was they got a big grant from the National Geographic Association, and they went and studied these five groups. One of them is in Icaria, Greece, one in Okinawa, Japan, one in Sardinia, Italy, one in Nicoya, Costa Rica, and one right here in California, Loma Linda. Five groups where they live 10 years longer than the rest of us. And the Butners brought back some principles of what it was that these five groups have in common. You're going to want to Google Blue Zones and learn about these principles if you'd like to live 10 years longer than you ordinarily would, and furthermore, if you would like to live with much less disease. A couple of the principles that really stand out for me. Purpose, getting up in the morning and having something to do, that was important to all of them having a purpose. Nutrition. All five groups eat what's called plant slant, about 95% vegetarian with a little bit, and I mean a little bit, of meat and fish. What else? Community. Hanging out. These five groups spend a lot of time hanging out. In fact, given this, they live to 100 and 105 They identified a lot of people who had been sitting around chatting with their friends for a hundred years. Can you imagine that? Think of it. Think of sitting around with four or five of your friends, and for a hundred years you're sitting with the same people on a regular weekly basis. Could be a lot of fun. Maybe you think, oh God, why would I want to do that? Well, it's up to you how long you want to live, and it's up to you how healthily you want to live. One of the important aspects of health that I want to bring to your attention just briefly this morning is blood pressure. There are new guidelines on blood pressure. Remember, blood pressure consists of three items. There's the systolic blood pressure. That's the top number that you get. That's the blood pressure when the heart is squeezing and pushing the blood around the body. The bottom number, the diastolic That's when your heart is in between beats, somewhat resting. So we have the 
upper number, when the heart's squeezing and pushing it out, the diastolic, the lower number, when the heart is in between beats, and then there's something called the pulse pressure that not many people know about. The pulse pressure is the difference between your systolic and your diastolic, and that tells you how much pressure the liquid, we call it blood, is being pushed through the tubes. Think of it as a garden hose. You've got water going through the hose, being pushed through, okay? When it's being pushed, that's the systolic. When it's resting, that's the diastolic. And the pressure with which the blood, the water, is being pushed through the hose, that's the pulse pressure. New guidelines. You want that upper number, the systolic, to be 120 or less. You want the lower number, the diastolic, to be 80 or less. And you want the difference between the two, the pressure with which this this liquid is being pushed through the system, to be 40 or less. Why are we so concerned about this? Because here's the deal. If you've got a little tiny hole in your garden hose and you put a lot of pressure on that water or push it through fast, it's going to find that hole and it's going to leak out. Same with our cardiovascular system. If you have a little tiny hole, everything is fine with your pressure. It's going to bypass that hole and you'll be okay. But you put too much pressure on the system, it's going to, the blood is going to find the hole and it's going to leak out. And that's what we call a stroke. None of us want to get a stroke. Very unpleasant. The aftermath of a stroke can be extremely unpleasant, including fatal. So for a couple of, not too many dollars, you can go to your local drugstore. You can buy a blood pressure machine. You don't have to go to the doctor. You can keep track of it at home. There are certain essentials you ought to have in the house all the time. Certainly a blood pressure machine is one of them. And what else? Well, certainly... A thermometer so you can take your temperature. Those two are critical devices. There are others that we can talk about in the future. Okay, so much right now for news and notes in psychology and medicine. Let's go back to our interview with Tamara Holder. As I said, a bold feminist who for almost a decade, she provided political, legal, and sports analysis on Fox News. She stood strong against conservative bombast. She served as a powerful progressive voice, never backing down despite having a minority opinion on what we all know is a conservative network. She is known for her fair, educated, and spirited documentary. Yes, And she's also known for the fact that she was one of many brave, courageous women who blew the whistle on sexual harassment at Fox News. Sexual harassment. Sexual harassment is bullying or coercion of a sexual nature or the unwelcome or any inappropriate promise of rewards in exchange for sexual favors. Yes, sexual harassment is illegal. We're going to hear more about that because Tamara is a lawyer. It constitutes an unlawful employment practice violation of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that prohibits discrimination 
on the basis, that law, 1964, prohibits discrimination on the basis of five protected classes, race, color, sex, religion, and national origin. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Tamara. Thank you for having me. We're going to take it from the top. You've got a story to tell. I know you've told it on national television. I appreciate your taking the time to be with us today very much. I want you to tell your story. Where does it begin for you? Well, uh, that's a really good question. I don't know where it begins. Um, it begins that I was born a uh, born a woman, and I have, as like every woman who is listening to this show, at, at certain points of my life, I've been subjected to sexual harassment and abuse outside and inside of the workplace, and I have um, continued to, uh, or I had continued to keep my mouth shut because I wanted to either get an education or continue to get an education or just work, continue to work, um, and... Uh, let me interrupt I, you. I just let... You grew up in La Junta, Colorado. Correct? Yes, I did. And you graduated high school in Colorado before you went to the University of Arizona? I did. I went to, um, I I did not graduate from high school in Colorado. I, my parents divorced and I went to Kamikan High School, which is in eastern Washington in the Tri-Cities where my father lived. I went to boarding school for a few years, in and out of boarding school, um, and then ended up at Kamaikan High School in Kennewick, Washington. Did, did so, you experience sexual harassment while you were in high school? Um, sure. In middle school, I remember dating back to my yearbooks, uh, where I, as most girls start to go through puberty around 12, 13 years old, um, boys wrote in my yearbook about my big boobs. Um, and that was a little disturbing uh, because I got picked on for that or they found it that they were flirting. And everybody, I think, I'm not trying to be overly sensitive. I think at that age, boys and girls are learning about sex and, and body parts and things like that. But, yes, it, it was, I think that if the boys at, the, at that time were taught by their mothers not to talk to women that way or to their fellow classmates that way, I wouldn't have had those comments in my yearbook. Going back to when you actually had those comments in your yearbook, do you recall if you were comfortable telling anybody about your feelings, your emotional reaction to what was going on, or was it that you had to keep it to yourself even then? Uh, Yeah, I think um, I had to keep it to myself. Um, I don't think that... I think one of the reasons why this has gone on for so long is because our mothers have failed us, and our fathers have failed us too, where those are things that we just either don't talk about, or for me, um, my mother passed away a few years ago, but uh, for purposes of full disclosure, if I ever told her of those things, she would say, well, what did you do to deserve that? Were you, maybe it's because you were wearing a bodysuit that was too tight, or maybe you were flirting, so very early on, and I, talking with other women, I think that I'm not alone in this. Very early on, I wasn't allowed to speak out. So what you're saying is your mother 
was part of almost a universal group of women in the United States, if not in other places, but we'll stay limited to our country, that she was part of a universal group who themselves were taught to be victims, that if, in fact, something happened to you, it was your fault. That's what you're saying, yeah. that you're, the position your mom would have taken, because that's what she was taught. Yes, I, absolutely. And I, I don't know if that's what she was taught. I think what happened is, is that um, my mother was one of the first women to work on Wall Street. My mother, went, uh, she went to Case Western Reserve. She then went to, uh, to the University of Texas at Austin to get her MBA. Her mother did not go to college. She was a college dropout. Um, her father didn't go to college. So the idea that, look, you're, you, you want to hang with the men, then be like a guy and, you know, drink like a guy, and smoke cigarette with the guys and talk like a guy and shut up and do your work. Um, what are you complaining about? You have a job. At least you're not at home raising the kids while your husband's out making the money. You get to be part of the workforce as well. So you're in high school. You're dealing with comments about your, quote, boobs, unquote, uh, in your yearbook. And then you go on to college, correct, at the University of Arizona? Yes. And what can you tell us? University. Beg your pardon. Well, I mean... Sure, I can tell you something. Uh, actually, I've never said before publicly. I was raped in college. Um, I was violently raped in college. Um, I did not say anything at the time because um, it was uh, the stereotypical fraternity kind of thing, drinking a lot freshman year. Um, the reason why I'm talking about it now, actually, and... Uh, I'm kind of just surprised myself that I just said this, but I, the man found me about 10 years ago and was stalking me at my law firm, and stalking me uh, around town. And I told my law firm, do not talk to him on the phone. Make sure everything is recorded through email. I didn't tell them what he did to me, but um, just this past summer, I, I, I found out also at that time that when I, I Googled him and I found out that he'd been arrested for harboring a teenage runaway about 10 years ago. So I knew the guy was still a bad guy. Um, and a I, dangerous guy. Again, a dangerous guy. And then I, uh, just re- uh, I just this summer, I was going to write about my experiences of sexual harassment and whatever and finally talk about it. I Googled his name again just to see what the guy was up to. And what comes up but this man violently murdered his father just a year ago. Oh, my god! He's been arrested six months prior for murdering his father, beating him, um, stabbing him in the head, a plastic bag over his head. And um, it, sent, it still really bothers me. It sends, you know, chills across my body every time I think about it. Yes. Um, these are, you know... At the time, sure, I would have been slut-shamed or you were drinking too much or, or not believed or whatever. But these are real stories of very, very violent men that do these things and get away with it. And they practice on women at a young age. Um, I'm sure that I wasn't his first. Um, I'm sure that he, obviously I wasn't his last. 
Um, and so I, I really just hope that people take stories of abuse very seriously because these men have patterns, um, not to politicize the story, but when you think about Rob Porter and what's going on with him out of the White House, um, you, here you, again, you don't see a story of just one woman that's saying uh, this was a, a disgruntled ex-wife. He has two ex-wives who both said that he's a violent man. And, the, and, and, and this, these are true, true stories. Whether you believe that story or not, of course I do. Um, men who do these things, they don't just do it once. And they have victims littered across uh, you know, the country or the world. You're absolutely right. From everything we know from psychological and sociological studies of these people, they do not perform these predatory acts one time. They're all serial uh, in their behavior. I want to ask a, a small favor, please. Would you, would you be so kind as to try taking off your earbuds and talking directly into the device, and let's see if we get an improved sound on that? Let's see what happens when you... Uh, sure. Let's just try that out. All right. By the way, folks, we're listening to Tamara Holder. She's a bold feminist, an attorney, a media analyst, and she blew the whistle at Fox News, and that's one of the main reasons we're talking to her today. Let me hear you say something with the uh, without the earbuds on. I'm still here without the earbuds. Okay, what do we think, Mike? Is that better? Okay, we're going to we're going to do that. So, when this event happened, this violent rape in college, what happens to the college co-ed? You, what do you do with that? And what did you do with that? And what was it like for you? I blamed myself, which is what women do. Um You blamed yourself. I, and I also just said, well, yeah, because I'd been drinking. It was a frat party. Um there's, there's, there, and, and I had nowhere to turn. Um, um, you know, this, this, these conversations about college rape are really just now starting to come to the forefront. And then we have awful stories like the, the Rolling Stone cover article where of all the women who've been raped in the world, the writer finds the one woman who just makes stuff up as she goes along and her story is completely false. So it's just not a safe place to talk. Um, and I don't think I would have ever said anything had I not found out where this man is today. Um, I think the fact that he is in prison for murdering his father validates my story. And that's unfortunate that it had to get to that point for me to say publicly here for the first time with you um, what happened. Because it's, it's otherwise people would say, oh, well, she was drinking too much or it didn't happen or whatever. Um, but, but in but this either, case, there are dots that get connected because you had the experience in college, but then he showed up at your firm, at your place of work, and you asked them to make recordings so you have record of him having shown up. And then you now have record that he killed somebody. So the dots are connected. And the dots are connected, but in so many cases, the dots aren't. They, the dots never connect. I just so happen to be abused by a, a, a 
a killer, literal killer. But a lot of women get abused by men, and a lot of men aren't killers, but they do it at different levels. Um, yes. Even just, you know, even the construction worker who catcalls women every single day, that is a serial harasser. Um, uh, so, so there's so many different levels of abuse that need to be brought to light. It's not just the worst-case scenario. In researching for this interview, I came across a list by a group that is working to help women on this topic, and they listed the following that they consider sexual harassment. I'm going to read them, and if you take issue with any of them, please tell me right away. Wolf whistles. Now, you already said that wolf whistles serially are a form of harassment. Is that correct? Yes. Discussion of one's partner's sexual inadequacies. Sexual innuendo at the workplace. Comments about women's bodies. Accidentally brushing sexual parts of a woman's body. Lewd and threatening letters. Tales, telling stories to a woman of sexual exploitation. Showing her, these are all workplace, and some are not. Graphic descriptions of pornography. Pressure for dates, do these all make sense to you? Oh, yes, they do. And I've been a victim of these my entire life, as, as many women have. The, the issue is is that we've kept our, our, our mouths shut because it sounds petty to say that a guy uh, cat called us or or accidentally, with quotes around accidentally brushed his hand across you know the backside of our our buttocks or something you know, so, so it's it's uh it's we just take it like I said like I said earlier we just and I said this in my CNN interview that went viral last month or in December, is that we just want to work. Women just want to work, and we are capable of these jobs, and we don't want to sleep with our bosses. We don't want to play around in the workplace and, and, and flirt. Of course, there are workplace romances, and, and that's always going to happen. I mean, you're, you spend half of your day with somebody in, in, at work, I get it. Um, but when there is a clear difference in power, that's where there's really the biggest problem. Um, and and that's, that's just what we want. That's my position, at least. That's, that's what my voice, what, how I want to use my voice, to say, we just want to work. We don't want you to impede in that in any way possible. We don't want to sleep with you. We don't want to have to sleep with you in order to make it in the workplace. We want to be recognized for our work and leave us the hell alone. It it was your poignantly saying on national television, I think it was CNN, that we just want to work. That resonated with me and touched me so deeply, and that's the reason I reached out to you and asked you for this interview. Because it was so genuine and so honest, and the the, the whole specter of having to deal with going to work 
on a regular basis and being sexually harassed is is uh, is almost incomprehensible and particularly for a heterosexual man who's never had this kind of thing happen at work it's it's you know it's believable but it's it's very uh it's it's a it's a very powerful and, and emotionally uh, uh upsetting so i want to go on with your story now you you were you were brave enough to tell the story as you said for the first time a few moments ago of having been raped in college and did you did you ever during your college experience go to the college counseling center or in any way have a place to unload this event or did you have to carry it with you inside of you for the rest of your college career I carried it inside of me and I and 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 when people do ask well why don't you report I don't think it's even necessarily Based, although I would have had no idea where to report, it's this idea that if we just keep our mouths shut and just continue proceeding, going to classes or going back to work or whatever, that we'll be fine. Um, and and then we don't see the effects of it until much, much, much later in life. Um, and and it rears its ugly head at times when you aren't expecting it um, or when you don't realize how, how it is doing that, the effects that it has on you. Yes. Um, so from college, so, you then went to the John Marshall uh, School of Law in Chicago. Yes. Did you have yes. incidents uh, of being sexually harassed in law school? No, I, um, I, I was not. I was actually engaged to my college sweetheart at that time who did not know about the, the rape that happened my freshman year. I don't think so. I, mean, I don't remember if I told him. I doubt I told him um, because it was pretty much just forgotten about. Uh, I, I just put it away. Um, um, but I do remember the first day of law school, one of my, uh, my fellow law students, had the yearbook, and he was highlighting the women with different highlighters on who who he thought was going to give a, the better blowjob. And um, and I thought that that was, and he was openly doing this, a green highlighter, a pink highlighter, and a yellow highlighter. Um, and he said to me, well, you're not, I'm not highlighting you because you're engaged. Um, so so those, that was a form of just kind of, sexual grotesqueness, but at the same time, you know, whatever, guys will be guys. I don't want to be, not that I'm defending that because it is kind of gross, but I don't want to be the police of all things. I don't think men should be completely emasculated. I think men should enjoy looking at beautiful women and fantasize and all of those things. I've got to pick my battles. Well, also... There's a dramatic difference between enjoying and fantasizing, fantasizing and being a predator, between enjoying, yeah. fantasizing, and having a good time sexually with mutual consent, and being a rapist. And Absolutely. Obviously, what you and so many courageous women like you are bringing to us males 
is that we need a new form of teaching and a new form of morality, if you will, that doesn't uh, that 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 empathizes with women and what's happening to them, so that we change our behavior. That there has to be a new normal, because the old normal is creating mental disease. Yes. So, Absolutely, and I think yes. Uh, so it's it's uh, it, it's not in any way. And I agree with you that we're we're looking to to diminish diminish male or female sexuality because sexuality is a is a wonderful thing when it's mutually uh, in mutual consent, you know, and it may be in, in and of itself a very healing thing because of the magnitude of the pleasure that it gives us. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about predators. We're talking about abuse of power, and that's what's so important about your willingness your willingness to step forward. So, thank you. Yes. you you're welcome. It, 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 it's, it's my privilege to be talking to you. So, okay, you leave law school, and tell us what goes on in your career next, and of any incidences or what you notice about this uh, 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 sexual harassment in the workplace for a young lawyer. Sure. Well, uh, I was doing a lot of public things right out of the gate. I um, was accused of um, having an affair with a man, uh, and that, when I signed with Fox News, which was just a few years out of law school, the uh, people at work brought that up to me and judged me for that. I was basically slut-shamed for something that I didn't do. Um, I was, people were very consumed with who I slept with, or what I what they'd heard was true. Um, who who, who are was, the people who are consumed with this, and how are they telling you about it? Just ask, simply asking, is it true? I heard, um, and it was painful. It was painful because it, it wasn't true. Number one, and even if it was true, but again, let me clarify, it wasn't true. Even if it was true, it's nobody's business, and I sh- it certainly shouldn't have adversely affected me in my job because I was able to show up to work and I was able to do my job. Um, what is this? People, what is this uh, event that they were accusing you of? Well, of having an affair with a married man. You know, pu- publicly, it's, it's of having an affair so, with I see. They were accusing you of having an affair with a married man, of doing something that right. that, that uh, is considered uh, I- immoral. Not illegal, but immoral, right? Right, right, right. And it didn't matter that I said, no, this is not true, uh, because, you know, whatever people read, they, they believe it to be true. Um, and it hurt me. It hurt me a lot. People brought it up to me all the time. Men brought it up to me on dates. Um, um, women at work brought it up to me. Uh, men on date. Men on and dates would say to you, "Oh, by the way, did you sleep with that married man that I've heard about?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And um, uh, Tamara, t- tell our listeners what slut shaming is. So, for those who don't know, they get educated. Well, I think slut shaming comes in all different forms, but it's essentially that. Women are um, 
delegitimized. Women are um, punished for engaging in any kind of sexual behavior um, or being accused of it. And uh, it's something that does not happen to men. Men can sleep with whomever they want. They can have sexual, they can have extramarital affairs, and it does not affect their ability to do business. Women, on the other hand, are slut-shamed by um, either just gossip, it affects their reputation in society, or it affects their, their ability to make a living. And, um, and this, this incident was something that was that I experienced very early on in my in my career as a woman who was trying to make a name for herself. And every day it would come up, and it still comes up. People on Twitter bring it up, um, but it was it, it, it and it was very 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 painful because it didn't make sense for me to respond. Um, I wasn't going to win that way, and I just again just wanted to work. Um, but it also empowered me to speak up, uh, given what happened to me uh, at Fox. Okay, let's come now to your entrance into Fox and lay it out for us. What was it like? How soon did the harassment be- begin? Was it this one incident? You can tell us about the incident. Take it from the top. Fox. Well, legally, the legally, I can't. I can't do that. If you go to the New York Times article, you could Google Tamara Holder, New York Times, Fox News. The what occurred is there. I can't. Um, I cannot talk about it. Um, um, but in short, I was not sexually harassed. I was sexually assaulted. Um, I had no relationship with this man whatsoever outside of the workplace. I had just met him maybe a week prior. I was in his office for a meeting to discuss my work. That was the only reason why I was in his office, which is what something somebody should be able to do. Um, and it was violent, and it was scary, and he should be in prison. Um, I'm still dealing with that, whether or not I still have time on the statute of limitations to report. Um, and it's, uh, and I was thought I'd be okay. I did not report it right away to my employer because given my history, as we've already gone through, um, I just figured maybe I did something wrong. Um, even if I didn't, I just want to work. I don't want this to okay. Let, my let, work. let me interrupt you right there because you said something so important. And it's so important for listeners to hear what Tamara just said. Here is a, a lawyer who's working as a commentator. She's on national television. She's a sophisticated woman. And she has an assault against her and she's considering that she might be at fault. This is so essential for every woman who's listening to this program to take in, so that if anything should ever happen to you, you learn from this, and don't consider the possibility that you are at fault, because you're not at fault when somebody aggresses upon you. 
and it really doesn't matter what you're wearing, and it really doesn't matter how big your boobs are or how curvaceous your, 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 your rear end is. That's not what the issue is here. The issue is assault against a person. And that's what you're hearing, that a person at this level of sophistication considered that she herself was at fault for doing that. That is so important, and I so much appreciate your willingness to say that out loud here. Yeah. uh, I mean, you you can hear in my voice that I'm impassioned just by hearing it, and part of that, Tamara, is because I have two daughters, as well as a wife, and so I feel protective outrageous well, uh, now i did hear you say that you're uh, and i'm a little confused by this that there are certain things you can't talk about but i also know that you feel that rupert murdoch violated your settlement agreement with him by the way folks let me just back up a bit when t- when t- tamara brought out and, d- and blew the whistle on fox they made a settlement with her and part of the settlement correct me if i'm off uh here is that you're not allowed to talk about it. However, I believe you publicly took the position that when Rupert Murdoch famously described all these sexual harassment, and as you're saying, sexual assault, as flirtatious, you felt that he broke your contract and so that you started speaking out. Is that correct? Yes, it is correct. And in fact, they still owe me money, and as recently as yesterday, they contacted my lawyers and said, well, we don't really want to pay her. We don't want to pay her what we owe her uh, because we, we've worried that she's violated the confidentiality agreement. So what? you have a company that continues to still abuse me. Um, not only did they not protect me, they decided after re-signing me time and time and time again that suddenly I wasn't good enough to be on TV. And as I said in my CNN interview, I get it. You know, when you're a personality with quotes around it, there are people that don't like you and there are people that like you. But on the business side of it, I was good enough at my job all these years and continued to receive contract extensions. And that's, you know, it's been a year now since I've been without a salary in television and I've been rebuilding. And now on top of that, they do not want to pay me what they owe me. Was it a was it a, a, a payment plan, and they're missing their payments? Is that what's going on? No, it was a deferred payment. Yeah, so they're putting you in the position of having to come after them in order to get what's due to you. Yes. And and think of it, folks. This would be one person and her lawyer going up against a network in order to collect. But you're a lawyer, so they've got something to contend with there. And I hope that's accurate. Right. So, well, it's the idea that there was a deal. We entered into an agreement. Yes. And uh, these are things that, you know, these are things that happen to regular people. I'm just a regular person. I'm on TV. I'm just a regular person who entered into an agreement with a company where I was abused. Right. And um, they have a duty. We, the, the four corners of the agreement requires a payment at certain times. And uh, now they don't want to keep up their end of the bargain, which is it's very disturbing. And to your point, it's me versus a major corporation. So they're going to, instead of paying me, they will fight me 
and make me pay lawyers that money that's due to me. That voice that you were just listening to is of the attorney, Tamara Holder, who blew the whistle on Fox News courageously. You're here on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, and I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller, and thank you for staying tuned and listening to this extremely important program. And for those of you, by the way, who missed the program or you want to hear more of what Tamara Holder is saying, you'll be able to listen to the archive uh, on my uh, website, mindbodyhealthpolitics.org, so you can play it for your particularly not just for women friends, but play it for men friends as well, because everybody's got to get educated about this information and what Tamara is bringing to us. So you're at the workplace, almost unimaginable. You have this event happen. You keep it to yourself for a while, thinking maybe you were at fault. Could you tell us a little bit about how you sort of constructed in your mind so that maybe other women can learn from you? How did you construct in your mind that maybe it was your fault? I mean, before you answer the question, you can think about the answer, how you did that. I want to tell the listeners what evidently you're not comfortable because of your contract uh, saying out loud. What was reported by Tamara Holder is that this executive at Fox News when she went in for a meeting about work-related issues only, took out his penis, grabbed her head, and pushed her head down towards his penis. That is the reason she's saying this is more than harassment, it's assault. And I think most lawyers would agree that that behavior is assault. Okay, now back to the question. How did you, how did you construct in your own mind in some way at all that what this man did, you, you, it was your fault. You recall? Well, sure. I was in his office. I had, he previously told me that he wasn't married um, and what had, had been flirting with me when I found out that he was married. Um, and like I said, this is very, this, this happened very, very quickly from the time I met him to the time, the incident, the incident. Um, I said, you know, I, I don't do that. Um, I don't engage in that kind of behavior. Um, and I, what kind that, of behavior was he trying to entice you towards that you said you don't do? Well, again, I got to be very careful because this is, you know, Fox can come after me for this interview. I see say that I'm violating the terms of the agreement. I see. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I'd rather just not even, it's very, Women, anybody who's listening, men or women, who's been abused, it's automatically, it's, it's human nature to say either it didn't happen or the way that it happened, I don't remember. It, it's not what I thought it was, or I'm making it up in my own mind, or, or just denial. So that's why I thought, uh, you know, that I just blamed myself. And I don't even know if it was as much as blaming myself as, again, this theme of, I just got to get back to work. This guy's a creep. Um, he's a bad dude, never going into his office again. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll deal with him on a professional level. He walked by my office or my desk at the cu- a cubicle kind of spot for my TV work. And he'd walk by and with his, like, starter Rolex and his three-piece suit. And, uh, you know, and I'd listen to him talk about, 
how great he was. And But I just kept doing my work and knew to stay away from him. Um, and it wasn't until a year and a half later where I started to have things started. I, I couldn't suppress it anymore. I just, I could not. Um, I did stupid things. I call it like the Britney Spears uh, moment where I cut off my hair. I didn't shave my head, but cut it off, and I was wearing all black, and I was very angry, and um, and it was just coming out in ways I thought it was just me being trying to, you know, be fierce and independent and set myself apart from everybody else's box. But it was really, it was really because what I'd suppressed couldn't couldn't stay stay down any longer. It just wouldn't uh, stay in the compartment. It I, wouldn't stay in the compartment. I had a complete mental breakdown. I called one of my coaches tonight, who's an amazing man and a mentor to me. We've been together for all these years and married. And he picked up the phone, and I just had a manic moment where I don't even remember it, really. It was two hours of mania. The next day, he said to me, I remember, he said to me, Tamara, if you start to hear voices, you need to get help. And that was the very end of the call. And I thought, holy crap. Do I sound like a crazy person to him? Because I'm not crazy. This is, this is making me crazy, though. And uh, I called up a great psychiatrist in New York City. I was in New York City at the time. I'm in Chicago now. And I said, look, I think I'm bipolar or schizophrenic or something. Something is, I'm not well. Um, and we met, and she said, no, you're not bipolar, you're not schizophrenic, you don't have any personality disorders, you are suffering from major PTSD and, uh, and, and depression because of what happened to you. Yes. And uh, that is something that I didn't think, you don't realize, you think that depression just can happen right away, um, but this took a, a while, and I should listen. I, I don't want to be here doing this right now. You know, I, this is obviously my calling. I've been forced to do this, but I would have been just as happy back at my job, doing television, being on TV, fighting with Sean Hannity, whatever, um, having a great life, having an income. Um, I. That's, I didn't choose this. And I certainly, when it happened to me, thought, still, I didn't choose this. I'm not going to deal with this. But you really didn't have any choice. One of the things, in addition to the courage you've had about speaking out, the courage you had when you blew the whistle, you also had a great deal of courage when you went public about the fact that in order to deal with the... PTSD, you took an illegal substance, MDMA. Yes, um, I, uh, I was, I'm, I'm very um, into reading about alternative medicine. Um, I'm a huge proponent of marijuana, um, and I knew that the, uh, the, the feds had, they, they, or the FDA, they named um, MDMA as the breakthrough treatment for PTSD. That's correct. Veterans suffering from PTSD. Not, not some hokey, you know, like, let's just, you know, do some molly and, or ecstasy or whatever you want to call it and, like, 
you know, go to go to a fish concert. It was this is this this is evidence based. This is not. Um, and, and and so I heard about it. I heard that it worked, and I said, you know, I'm going to do this. Um, you're really you're you're the only person that's asked about it in that interview. Nobody nobody else. Of course, the person who um, did this provided this to me was like, don't talk about it anymore. I don't want to get arrested. But uh, but it was um, I didn't again. I didn't have a choice. Do I want to sit on a therapist's couch for eight hours and trip my you know, trip balls? <laughs> I mean, I, I, no, you know, and pay. A, it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money, but I was willing to do whatever it took to heal because I didn't have a choice. And I can tell you that it was the most incredible healing experience I'd ever had. I am no longer on antidepressants. I don't take anxiety medication. Um, it was a very, it was amazing. It takes all of your trauma that triggers, that, that lives in your body. It takes it, it grinds it up, and it throws it out the window. And so when you talk about your trauma, whatever it is, and we all have lots of trauma. So veterans, for example, they don't just have trauma from war. They have trauma from childhood and whatever else. Um, you talk about it as something that happened to you, but it just doesn't have the tentacles attached to it that are emotionally charged. Many of you listening know that my recent book, Psychedelic Medicine, includes quite a bit of research on MDMA. Um, the most important piece of research, and it relates to what Tamara is telling us, was done by Dr. Michael Mithoffer, uh on the use of MDMA with PTSD. And, uh, and of course, he's in the book, as well as, uh, as many others. And what Tamara is telling us about the effects of MDMA on PTSD as being scientifically based is absolutely accurate. And you can read it in my book, Psychedelic Medicine. You can read the, the actual research. You can listen to the scientist who did the work, Dr. Michael Mithoffer. Extremely important. Most unfortunately, the United States government is still suppressing uh, this medicine, although they're letting a little bit, you know, a little bit through. And we seem to be at the end of some uh, phase three trials. Rick Doblin of the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies tells us that it looks like there's a possibility that by 2020, MDMA will be legally available for the use by us therapists uh, in psychotherapy. But listening to Tamara's story is so important because you've heard during this interview the depth of the assault against her person. Of course, it almost goes without saying that having these kind of assaults is going to lead her to having PTSD. Why? Because PTSD is what it sounds like when you say it all, all the words out. Post-traumatic stress disorder. You have a trauma, post means afterwards, some days, weeks, months, or even years later, you have a disorder. And listen to, to this, this, this tremendously poetic story of how she, bless your heart for saying it out loud, thought she was bipolar or schizophrenic. This is a normal woman. And unfortunately, I'm so happy that you found a therapist who was able, rather than pathologize you, to see what you were dealing with and not give you any labels of bipolar, schizophrenic, or any of that other stuff, and simply treat you. 
and I, and I hope it was tremendously effective for you. Well, yes, not only that, the, the most important part of my healing, which is something that you started talking about before you, uh, at the beginning of your program, before you brought me on, um, is, uh, is, is healthy eating. Um, I went on a plant-based diet in August. Um, I, my treatment was September, my MDMA treatment. Um, I needed to get off of my medication in order to do that treatment because, um, antidepressants, they block, they block the MDMA. That's right. Um, and I, uh, I have cancer throughout in, in my family. My mother just died of cancer that didn't exist anywhere else in our family. My grandmother had died of cancer that didn't exist anywhere else. Grandfather, you know, this, so this idea that it's genetic is, um, yeah, it's genetic because you, we all have cancer genes. So, uh, you just don't know where, where, what, which one's going to get triggered. And, uh, and I decided that I needed to take all toxicity out of my body. Um, I read the China study, um, and I went, quit cold turkey, all of my pills, all meat, all dairy, all gluten, all processed sugar. Mm-hmm. And, um, and people say, well, how do you do that? And how, how do you survive? And what's left to eat? And um, for me, food is medicine. And I traveled to Asia a few months ago, to rural Asia. I was in Thailand, uh, the northern part of Thailand. I was in, uh, in Myanmar and, um, and Laos. And the goal of that trip was not to go to the beautiful beaches, but to study how people in rural Asia eat. And is, is this really true? And they eat. Uh, no, no animals whatsoever, unless a chicken comes through town for New Year's or something. Um, but uh, and and that I credit the China study and plant-based lifestyle as a, the number one reason why I'm I'm healed the way that I am. The, the number one reason why I have no, um, I, I don't have the ability to have toxic thoughts in my mind because I don't have toxic. I'm not putting toxicity in my body. When you put a dead animal in your body, uh, when you put dairy and cow pus and all of this disgusting stuff in your body, that is what your body uses for fuel. And if it's bad fuel, you have bad thoughts. Um, and I, I am living, I am living proof of that because one year ago I was on the floor in my closet just wanting to die on every kind of medication possible to help me get through. And, uh, and I'm here today talking about these things that have happened to me without the toxicity um, in, in, in my thoughts and, and in my feelings. You know, in a way, you, what you've done is you've made lemonade out of lemons. And, and it's very fortunate things have happened. And I'm so happy for you that they did. Because the medications that you were taking most likely were doing more harm than good. Robert Whitaker in his book, Anatomy of an Epidemic, has really blown the whistle on the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors because they're based on a theory that people who are having emotional difficulties have different brain chemistry than the rest of us. But the fact is, 
We don't have different brain chemistry when, when we're having emotional dif- difficulties. Even those with these severe diagnoses don't have different brain chemistry. So when we take these so-called medicines, what they do is they disrupt our neurotransmitters rather than balance them. And you were fortunate enough to have to come off those medications in order to take MDMA, the medicine which really did help you. And so fortunate. And also, what you did was... You looked into nutrition, the fuel that we eat, and you cleaned up your diet, and so you've cleaned up your life. We're running out of time. Yes. I want to thank you so much for being on the program and for, and for sharing your story with the men and women who are listening to this, which will hopefully expand their awareness and, and enhance all our lives. Thank you, Tamara. Thank you for having me. It means a lot.